Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Great to see you today. Thanks for being here at Grace Crossing Church this morning. It was a joy to walk in here uh, this morning and walk into our gallery and see that Christmas tree filled with gifts uh, already accumulating around the bottom of that tree. And I just want to say thank you to every one of you uh, who are helping us make Christmas a little bit more special and meaningful, to families that have been displaced that uh, find themselves at the Red Cross, uh, the the Green County Transitional Housing Facility in Xenia, Ohio. Uh, These are kids that really aren't going to have much of a Christmas because they, for whatever reason, uh, the economy in their life tanked, uh, they had a fire that displaced them, whatever the hardship was that they've experienced, it's placed their family uh, in a housing facility that um, they're without very much this Christmas. And uh, for the past few years, we at Grace Crossing Church have said, we're going we're gonna to provide Christmas for those kids. So we get tags uh, that the kids give us and the families give us, telling us what they would like to have. And you know what's really struck me? is my wife and I took a tag, and uh, our family all took tags. And, and as we looked at the list, so many of the gifts and the, the requests were so practical. They were just things that we all take for granted every day, like socks and underwear. You know, that Those were the things that on some of those tags, those families were saying, we really would like this for Christmas. And um, when you have nothing... It's amazing how the simple things in life can mean so much. And I just want to say thank you uh, for caring enough and for joining us in blessing these families and being a gift uh, to those families this Christmas. So thank you for your generosity. Well, I love the song we just sang a few moments earlier, Go Tell It on the Mountain, Over the Hills and Everywhere. Uh, I actually just returned from the mountains of Albania. It's a nation that's surrounded literally by... uh, by mountains on all their borders. And I had the privilege of doing a one-week mission trip there to Albania with an organization called Equip Leadership Canada, uh, an organization that was founded in 2003 that focuses on building leadership as the single greatest means to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to fulfill the great commission that Jesus Christ gave us. What I love and appreciate about um, ELC is that they focus on restricted access regions of the world internationally. Places where there's still hostility toward Christianity. Where Christians can still be persecuted for their faith. Many of these nations of the world, uh, leadership training is simply not available. Their hearts are hungry and they're desiring more of God. Now the first missionary that ever stepped foot in that region of the world is linked to the scripture. The first missionary that ever went to that region was the Apostle Paul. And I want you to read with me how he went to that particular region of the world. It's written for us in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. So get this picture. They want to go to Phrygia. They want to go to Galatia. But some, for some reason, the circumstances of life did not allow them to preach the gospel of Jesus. They were prevented. So when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter. 
So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now at this point, Paul's frustrated. Paul's wondering what in the world is going on. We feel like we're following the mission of Jesus. We feel like we're going to the places he's calling us to and we're finding a closed door wherever we go. But during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Ancient Macedonia is part of modern-day Albania. The region of Macedonia actually is Greece today, but it runs northward into the southern part of Albania. And so it's interesting that I had the privilege, really, of following in the footsteps of the pioneer that took the gospel of Jesus Christ to that particular region. Albania is rich with history. Much of it's very dark. Some of you may know this. Many of you will not know this, but Mother Teresa is Albanian. She was born in the country. She left to go to India at an early age and spent her life caring for the poor and the indigent uh, throughout India. In fact, so big is, is, is her reputation there that October the 19th, my wife's birthday, is an Albanian national holiday, government holiday, uh, in honor of Mother Teresa. But, but what many of you do not know about Albania is this other part of its history. Albania is the only nation in the history of the world to be declared an atheist nation constitutionally. I want you to think about that for a moment. Of all the nations of the world that have ever existed, Albania is the only one that so much believed that God did not exist that they wrote it governmentally into their constitution to say as a nation, God does not exist. And during some very dark years of that nation's history, it was illegal to practice any kind of faith. In fact, people were martyred. People were executed for their religious faith. I went to a particular uh, museum there, and the museum was dedicated to all of those who died uh, under communist regime. And communist, communism came to the, the nation right after the Second World War. So from 1946 all the way to 1991, Albania was a self-declared socialist state under communist rule. But here's what's so remarkable about those years. They were so against God that not even the Soviet Union was communist enough for them. Not even China was communist enough for Albania. They were a nation that wanted to stand as an island under their, themselves with a, taking a hard line on what they believed and they did not believe that God existed. So during those years in 1946, when communism came into power and the communist dictator took leadership in Albania, as many communist dictators did, he ruled with an iron fist. It was all about controlling the mind and leveraging power and influence over its citizens. 90% of the country in 1946 was illiterate. And the government, communist regime, immediately set out to educating its people, teaching them to read and to write 
And I know it sounds like such a noble task, such a noble ambition, but they had one purpose in mind, that they wanted to produce communist propaganda that the parents could teach to the kids that the next generation would understand about the rule of communism in that nation. Every morning by six in the morning, there was literature that was being produced by the government that was sent to every home and every child had to learn this literature and went to school and was tested on their level of knowledge about that communist propaganda. It was a dark, dark day. And in 1991, when communism fell, I want you to think about this for just a moment. There was not one known evangelical Christian in the nation of Albania. Not one. It really was a cultural reset back to the earliest days when Paul the Apostle went in there and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that had never heard the gospel. In fact, in Romans 15, he talks about the other region of Albania. Albania, modern-day Albania, is actually ancient Illyricum that's talked about here in Romans chapter 15. Paul said, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have seen and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Albania, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Today in Albania, there are about 20,000 evangelical Christians. That may sound like a lot, but in that entire nation, there are only about 200, and I use this term loosely, 200 churches that are meeting throughout that country. Some of them are just a handful of people that meet in a home, and that home has become their church. Let me put this in perspective for you. In a 25-mile radius of Grace Crossing Church, there are double that number of Christian churches. And they have about 200 throughout the nation. So I had the privilege of, for the last week, got back on Friday afternoon of speaking to a group of international pastors, young pastors. These are first-generation Christian leaders. They have no one who has gone before them to pave the way. There are no mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers of the faith. They're it. And though Christianity is about 25 years old, the church of Jesus Christ is only about 12 years old. So one of the first things one of the pastors said to me is that we're just stepping into our teenage years. We're just now learning about how to grow up as a church and how to pass on this to the next generation. And so I had the privilege of meeting with a group of pastors that were able to travel into Toronto, the capital, and also to staff and faculty of the very first Christian university, the International School of Theology and Leadership uh, there in Albania. And it was a tremendous, tremendous honor of representing Equip Leadership Canada, representing Grace Crossing Church, but most importantly, representing the name of Jesus Christ. 
They gave me a gift at the end of my time there. The pastors got together and presented it to me. And it's actually that verse we just read out of Romans chapter 15. It said, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your love and your support. I understand last weekend this body gathered in both services and joined together in prayer. And I want to say thank you for for doing that. Uh, I felt God's love. I felt God's grace. I felt the support of this church family right there uh, in Albania. And I bring you their love and I bring you their greetings and their gratitude for the investment that we've made into that country, believing God for the future of Albania and what God has in store. Well, last weekend, we began a very brief uh, Advent series entitled Simply Christmas. And one of our elders, Tim Buttry, last weekend uh, launched this series for us, and it's got a simple premise. Christmas is all about Christ. Christmas today has become about anything and everything but Christ. But at the end of the day, this holiday that we celebrate, that is a government holiday, has been put on the map not because of the United States government or some government of the world. It's been put on the map by a big event, an event that we read about in the Gospels, an event that changed not only the landscape of human history, but changed the landscape of human hearts. It's a tremendous moment that we celebrate at Christmas. One of my uh, favorite television uh, news programs is actually a cable news program called OAN, One America News. Any other uh, fans here of One America News? Anybody else ever watch One America News? Well, I was introduced to One America News about a year ago, and I've been hooked ever since. What I love about One America News, and there's a lot of things I enjoy about it, but one of the things I appreciate about One America News is it is commercial free. Watching television without commercials is my guilty pleasure. It is one of the great joys of life. If you have the chance to ever watch television, especially news, and enjoy a news broadcast without commercials, it's such a breath of fresh air in today's clutter on news channels. Now, they do take uh, station breaks because even the best newscasters need to use the bathroom from time to time. But during those uh, station breaks, they often, in place of commercials, show these little um, documentaries. These are small documentaries that are entitled Moments in History. And here's the subline of Moments in History. These are moments that shaped our world and changed who we are. So it focuses on American history and some of the great historic moments in our history that shaped our world and changed who we are. Well, last Christmas, I saw this infomercial show up on One American News and it caught my eye. It was not part of moments in history, but it very well could have been. Because it focuses on an event that shaped our world and makes us who we are. I want you to watch the infomercial with me. We would like to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Can you start it from the top but leave out the Christ part? 
Let's just try Xmas. We would like to wish you a very Merry Xmas. Uh, Xmas still sounds a little religious and offensive. Let's do a take with Happy Holiday instead. We would like to wish you a Happy Holiday. audience will still know we're referring to Christmas. Let's play it safe. We don't want to offend any viewers. Let's scrap the VO and lose the visuals. We'll just run them into solid red instead. Are you tired of the new PC Christmas? We are too. When we lose our traditions, we lose a sense of who we are, where we came from, and what makes us a great nation. Turn here to One America News this holiday season, and together we can keep the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of America alive. Now, can we put our hands together for that commercial? That's just really good. It's just really good. But it's not overtly religious, but I'll tell you what it subtly says to us. It says that when you remove Christ from Christmas, you remove the holiness from the holiday. And it's really important for us to understand that sometimes we get so busy with the activities of Christmas, with the hustle and bustle, that the holiday loses its holiness. That no longer does it hold a significant, meaningful, life-transforming place in our hearts and in our lives. The second thing I want you to understand that often happens at Christmas is that sometimes the noise and the distraction of all the trappings of the holiday drowned out the presence of God from the holiday. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the busyness and all the planning for events and all of our calendars are filled with events and we're all thinking about our shopping and wrapping the presents and whose homes we're going to go to, and what family do we need to make sure that we don't miss visiting this Christmas. That Let's be honest. Sometimes when that happens, it becomes so noisy that we can no longer hear the still small voice of God speaking to us and saying, listen, this is all about me. Um, my wife last, uh, this, earlier this year actually in January, at our wedding anniversary, gave me a tremendous gift. It's one of those gifts that already is going to keep on giving, I know, for many years to come. Um, And it's a gift that maybe some of you have, maybe some of you don't. They're not cheap, but I have found they are definitely worth the price. In this little kit, I have a set of noise-canceling headphones. A friend of mine actually gave me some for an international trip to Istanbul, Turkey, and Moldova last year. And I had never used noise-canceling headphones. And uh, so he, he gave them to me and let me borrow them. He said, you'll really appreciate these for the flight. And, uh, and I did. Um, I found a lot of things out about noise-canceling headphones, did a little research, and found out in 1978, there was a guy by the name of Dr. Amar Bose. Maybe that name will ring a bell to you. Who was actually traveling from the United States of America all the way to Sp- Switzerland on an international flight. And he had taken the headphones that were given to him on the plane and he became so frustrated at the level of ambient noise that he continued to hear. He could not even enjoy the in-flight music or the in-flight entertainment because of the ambient noise in his ears. And so he took a, a napkin and he just on that napkin began to put the calculations 
for engineering noise-canceling headphones. Now, I wore them on my flight last year, and they were really comfortable, and they were really nice, and I thought, that's, that's pretty cool. And then it was, it was like halfway into the flight. I'm still hearing a lot of ambient noise, but I thought, well, you can't drown out all the noise. And I came upon this little button right here. Nobody ever told me this had a little button. The magic is not there. The magic is here. And I found this little button. I opened the case, and I said, well, I wonder what that goes to. And oh, on the top of this, there's a little place to put a, a battery. And when you put the battery in, and then you put these on, and you turn on this little button, I mean, the hallelujah chorus begins to sing. It, it is absolutely remarkable how much ambient noise all of a sudden disappears. Now, it can't get rid of all of it, but it gets rid of enough of it that you don't have a pounding headache when you get to your destination. Here's my challenge to us here at Grace Crossing Church this Christmas. My challenge is that we make an intentional effort to turn down the ambient noise and amplify God's presence and God's peace in our hearts and in our homes this Christmas. My challenge is that Christmas can become so cluttered with busyness and activity and noise and distraction that we somehow sometimes miss out on the most simple and subtle messages that God wants to bring to our hearts. And there's only one way to do that. And that is to turn down the noise of all the activity and to amplify God's presence and God's peace in our hearts and in our homes. This morning, I bring us to a story that is found in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story, actually, that's very remarkable. It's not a traditional uh, Christmas narrative, but it's tucked right in the Christmas narrative of the Gospel of Luke. There's lots of things I love about Luke's Gospel, but one of the things I love most is I love the history of the author Luke. Luke was not an Orthodox Jew. In fact, Luke was not a nominal Jew. Luke was a Greek who had come to faith in Jesus Christ years after his life, his death, and his resurrection. He did not grow up looking for a Messiah. He didn't even know what that was all about. But somewhere along the way, Luke, who by trade and by profession was a trained medical doctor, a physician. In fact, other writings of antiquity talk about the significance of this Gentile Luke and his influence in the medical world. But he's hired by a wealthy entrepreneur, a wealthy business leader, perhaps even a government official, who wants him to do an investigation on the life of Jesus Christ. I want to find out whether everything they say about Jesus is true. And a man by the name of Theophilus hires Dr. Luke to begin to study and research the life of Jesus Christ. He then, out of his writings, gives us two books, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which originally were one, one volume. The Gospel of Luke is a book that gives us insight into the humanity of Jesus in a way none of the other Gospels do. It focuses more on the, the birth of Christ and more on the surroundings of his birth and the human side of his birth and more on the death of Christ than the other Gospels. Why? Because the details matter to doctors. 
And this doctor cared about every detail that was being put in there about the humanity of the Son of God. But we can credit Dr. Luke with a story that's found in no other gospel but his gospel. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51. I want to read it in its entirety, and then I'm going to come back and unpack it for our time that is remaining. Here's the story, Luke's gospel chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended a festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed that he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all of these things in her heart. Now, if you've never been a parent here, you probably do not have the emotional appreciation for what I just read. But if you have been a mother or a father, you then understand how significant this story is. Parents separated from their 12-year-old son for three days. Now, missing children is one of the, the great tragedies in our world. Whenever I see the story of a missing child, my heart just sinks. I cannot even imagine what it would be like for a parent to go even an hour not knowing where your child is. Can you imagine three long days wondering what has happened to him? And as I read this narrative of Scripture, I'm struck by the reality that Christmas is not the only holiday and is not the only celebration where Jesus has been forgotten. The Passover, the Jewish Passover, is equivalent to Christmas for we who are Christians. Because when you look at the significance of the Jewish Passover, it was one of the three great pilgrimage festivals of the Jewish religion. It's, it remains that today. And so every single year, at the Passover, people who are Jews will pilgrimage from their homes, from where they live, and they'll converge in Jerusalem at the temple to worship and to celebrate the Passover. It's been celebrated for thousands of years. What is the Passover? It's the remembrance of what God did for the children of Israel when they were in bondage and in slavery in Egypt, and how God, by his own hand, delivered them to a place where they became 
a people for God, their own possession, their own nation, their own identity. And the celebration of the Passover is the reminder that people have been set free and have been made God's people. What we celebrate at Christmas is the beginning of God's Passover. It is the beginning of God coming to us. God coming to where we were enslaved to sin. God coming to where we could do nothing for ourselves. And saying to us, I care enough about you that I'm going to make you a people for my own possession. I'm going to deliver you from the bondage of sin and I'm going to bring you in to relationship with me and I'm going to do it through my son who loves you. Through my son who's coming and giving his life for your deliverance. As I read the story, I think what also strikes me is where they lost Christ. Let's read verse 41, Luke chapter 2, 41. Every year, don't miss that. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Verse 42, they attended the festival, don't miss this, as usual. They lost Jesus at his own celebration, and they didn't even realize it. What was the Passover all about? It was all about pointing the way to the deliverer. The Passover was really a celebration of Jesus. That's why he stayed where he was. He's back there in Jerusalem, in the temple, because this celebration could not end without him leaving. He was the reason they were celebrating, and they didn't even know it. Reality is, not only is our world filled with lots and lots of people who celebrate Christ, birth, Christmas every single year, but tragically, there's a lot of people who attend church today that have lost Jesus in his own celebration. That no longer is the celebration about Christ. It is about everything and anything but Christ. Verse 43 says, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And here is one of the saddest phrases, not only in this passage, but perhaps in the entire Bible. But they were unaware of it. How is it possible that you could have Jesus with you, leave him behind in your journey, and then not even be aware of it? Think about it. They misplaced the Messiah. They misplaced the Savior of the world. The one who would come to give his life is left behind. And I think for every single one of us, it's one of the great warnings to us. Let's make sure that in the busyness of the holidays, in the busyness of the celebration, at the annual celebration that's all about Christ, that we not forget him that we not too leave him behind. They lost him in the celebration of himself, his own celebration. Verse 44 tells us the other place he was lost. When they didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and among their friends. In those days, 
families, extended families, would caravan together on those annual pilgrimages. So it was not uncommon for all of the kids to move in and out of their extended family, spending time with their extended family. What I find so remarkable about this is that Jesus got lost even among his own family and friends. He's nowhere to be found among the people that were to be with him. The people who he was to be with, he's nowhere to be found. Some of you, like me, uh, will travel this holiday season. You will visit extended family members. You will be with family members that, some of them perhaps, that are following Christ, but maybe like my family, many that don't. And in those moments, what, is, what the temptation is for all of us is to get so caught up and raptured in the moment of the celebrations that we forget that Christ can be lost even among our own family and among our own relatives and friends. It happened with Mary. It happened with Joseph. It can happen to us. Verse number 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Where did they lose Jesus? They lost him in the church of God. They lost him in the family of God. In the very church, he's there, but they aren't. And there is this disconnect between God's building, God's people, and God's presence. They had moved on their journey without him. They had left him behind. And Jesus is there waiting doing something remarkable. In fact, verses 46 through 49 tell us what Christ is doing during these three days. Three days later, they finally discover him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. I find that really, really profound. Here is the Savior of the world, the Son of God, who knows everything. And he is listening to the religious teachers, and he is also asking them questions. Jesus is both intellectually curious, and he's theologically curious. He wants to hear what they're saying about the Passover. He wants to hear how they're describing the Messiah. He, he wants to understand their level of understanding about who the Messiah was. And then he begins to ask them questions. You know, so often when we think about the Bible, we talk about the Bible as the answer to all of life's gnawing questions, don't we? If you want the answer to life's questions, go to God's Word. There you'll find the answers, and it's true. But the Bible is so much more. Did you know the Bible is also a book of questions? Time and time again, the Scripture is asking us questions. In fact, over 100 questions are asked by Jesus in the Gospels alone. One of the most profound questions Jesus asks is in John chapter 11. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? The answer to that question will change everything about your Christmas. Because to believe that Jesus is the child born in a manger is one thing. To believe in Christmas is one thing. 
But the story didn't end there. The story of Christ's life is that he journeyed all the way 33 years to a wooden cross on the hill of Golgotha, where he died a criminal's death, executed for crimes that he never committed. And it was there that Jesus Christ became our resurrection and our life. Those questions that Jesus asked are significant. And the answer that we give to that question changes everything. So you might be sitting here this morning and you might be wondering about Christ in your own life this Christmas. You see, I know that in a church, it's not uncommon to have people that that come to church and are doing it to check off a block on their religious obligation. We grew up going to church, so it's just what we do. But God's desire, God's heart for every single one of us here is that God doesn't want to just be born in a manger in the first century. God wants to be born in the manger of human hearts in the 21st century. God wants a relationship with every single one of us. And some of us here have grown up knowing Christ and we simply have lost him along the way. Our journey's been tough. We've gotten disconnected from Christ. He he no longer is the center of our life, and he's no longer the center of the celebration. So how do we rediscover him? How do we keep Christ at the center of Christmas? Well, I think we can follow the journey of Mary and Joseph. Verse 44 tells us the first thing they did. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. The first thing I would recommend to us is this. Don't assume that just because you celebrate Christmas, Christ is with you. It is very easy for us to celebrate Christmas, assuming and thinking he is with us, when we have found our life move and distance from him. And what Christ does is he invites us. You see, it's a tragic verse, but here's what I love about it. Mary and Joseph stopped long enough to take an inventory. They finally said, listen, we've got to recognize he's not in our company. We're going on with life, but Jesus isn't with us. We're doing this alone, but the Son of God isn't here. And they did something. Verse number 45 When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Jesus Christ promises to be found by anyone and everyone who will look for him. It reminds me of uh, the narrative just a few verses earlier in Luke's gospel, the second chapter, when the angel comes and appears to the shepherds. Most of us remember it. And the angel says, this day I bring you good news of glad tidings, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Here's how you'll find him. And I love what it says that the shepherds did. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's Go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that happened, which the Lord has taught us about. They hurried to the village, 
found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Can you imagine how different the Christmas narrative would be if the angels never went looking? But they searched. And they searched until they found. And when they found him, they then began to be filled with joy and filled with excitement because their lives were being transformed. I think for every one of us here, looking for Jesus is one of the most significant things that we can do in our lives. Our staff is actually reading a book right now called A Praying Life. And in this book, A Praying Life, it is really inviting us into the great privilege of having relationship with God through prayer. As we've been reading, we've been talking and looking at some of the things that get in the way of building a prayer life before God. Chapter 11 struck a chord in my heart. And it really punctuates what we've been talking about this morning. Chapter 11's title is Developing an Eye for Jesus. And the author in the book simply talks about how in life he would move along so busy and it wasn't until he stopped and began to look back that he could connect the dots, that there in that person I was seeing Jesus. There in that moment I was seeing Jesus. There in that attitude I was seeing Jesus. There in the grace of that experience I was seeing Jesus. And he said, I've had to learn that I have to look for Jesus if I'm going to find him. Most of us wake up every morning and the last thought in our mind, if we even ever think about it, is where is Jesus today in my life? Can you imagine if every morning we woke up, this Advent season, that we woke up saying, I wonder today where I will see Jesus. I wonder today where I will find him. I think we don't find him because we don't look for him. I love when I experience Jesus in this body at Grace Crossing Church, like through the tree. I saw Jesus in Albania in people who have little and yet give so much. People who have lived difficult lives and yet their hearts are so full of God and full of grace. They really want nothing from you other than just whatever you can pour out of your heart into their heart. They're hungry for God. You and I can see Jesus if we'll take time to look for him. Don't assume he's with you just because you celebrate the holiday. And stop long enough to search where he is. So I want to close by circling back to the question I asked earlier. And here's the question. What one thing can I do this Christmas to turn down the noise of the holiday and to amplify the voice and the presence and the peace of Jesus to my heart and to my home? What can I do this Christmas to turn on the ambient noise cancelers, that which will cancel out all the distraction and all the noise. And what can I do to amplify the presence of God and the peace of God? Let me ask it another way. What one step can you take this Christmas to simplify your life and make room for Christ? 
I heard last week about someone who has disconnected from social media all the way through the holidays, has made a decision that all the noise and distraction is going to be minimized for the purpose of being able to get back to the simplicity and the meaning and the wonder of Christmas. Every single one of us can do something, can take a step toward Christ. What is that step that you can take to simplify your life and to make room? My encouragement to you, let's follow the path of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Let's look for Jesus. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.